Hi, welcome to Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today is the first of two episodes on the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, which is Lawrence Stern's, um, not, it's a novel of, it's pages (laughs) in between covers. (laughs) Sure it is, yeah. Uh, Published in nine volumes between 1759 and 1767 about um, a dude who gets his nose mashed at birth by a pair of forceps and... Also, he gets his dick caught in a window and epistemology and what is a novel and also dick jokes <laughs> and everything else. Everything else. Indeed. Uh, so Tristan, why Tristram Shandy? Um, so I'm going to take a page from you, Megan, uh, about saying whatever the hell you want when you're at the front of the class. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say that this is the greatest English novel. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> say it. Uh, I, I know that sounds ridiculous. And yeah, it's probably too big of a claim. Um, but I will absolutely stand by this being the greatest English novel of the 18th century. Um, one of probably the top three of the 18th and 19th centuries. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. One of my favorites of all time. Um, you know, I my son's middle name is Tristram, and my wife got one of the cutest videos I've ever seen of him reading a page from this novel. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's so cute. Uh, it's cute. So it's very cute. Needless to say, I, I stand. Um, on the same trip to the UK a decade ago, uh, which you guys might remember from a Rob Roy episode, <laughs> where where I took uh, where I took Christine and my parents all around Walter Scott land. Uh, we. <laughs> We also did terrified left-handed driving laps in a rental car all around Yorkshire so I could find the tiny village of Coxwold where Lawrence Stern's house, which is called Shandy Hall, is. You sure um, got some cool <laughs> tourist interest there, oh, Tristan. Yeah. It was Tristan Nerd Central trip, definitely. Um, and <laughs> Fellas, you ever drive around for seven hours looking for Coxwold? <laughs> um, and it's it's a delightful little village, but it is extremely hard to find in the middle of nowhere. Um, my And uh, yeah, uh, Christine reminds me that I failed to check to see whether the house was in fact open that day. <laughs> uh, it was not. Uh, but fortunately oh. for us, when we drove up the delightful livid curator, he, he saw our car. He just comes. I was like, hey, you want a tour? Uh, lovely man. I believe he's still there. Uh, last I checked. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I love this novel. It's hilarious. It's often frustrating, but it's mainly hilarious. It's one of the few objects from my field that I'm terrified to ever write about. Um, and I, I actually haven't even taught it, uh, both because I don't want to kill something I love and because I'm quite sure it's smarter than me in a way that Robinson Crusoe is definitely not smarter oh, no. than me. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, and, and as Megan said, it really is about everything. It's glorious. You should read it. You should also watch the Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden movie, a cock and bull story. Uh, which mm-hmm. is a pretty damn good effort at imagining what Tristram Shandy in film form would be. So read the book, watch that film, and we can be good friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I first read this in college. Like, I actually read it on my own, which... That's okay, impressive. It's uh, ambitious. It, it was. I mean, I think it was also that it was mentioned by, like, an 18th century prof of mine, and I took some 18th century courses in college. So it was, like, not... I wasn't just doing it completely blind, but I met, I read it because like this professor sort of casually mentioned that it was bananas. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in, like, I'm here. <laughs> Let's fuck this up. So I also, I love this novel. Everyone loves a book that doesn't 
take its bookiness seriously, which I know is like one of those <laughs> academic sentences, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I also love a novel that's like a couple dudes get hit real hard in the dick and that's that's it. That's the plot. <laughs> Thank boy you. Yoing. Boy mm. yoing. Thank you for coming well, or, to or our nev- podcast. Or never boy yoing again. Either, right? <laughs> <laughs> Speak for yourself, my yeah, friend. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a new segment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, better bread than boing. Um, <laughs> that's, that's good too. Yeah. That's uh, money. It sure it is. Uh, yeah. Also, like, oh, okay. So, like, the lengths this dude goes to for a joke is like, ho- holy shit. Like, <laughs> so we meet this guy, Yorick. He's a real jokester, mm-hmm. of course. And then we get the punchline. We all know what it is. Alas, poor Yorick, like 80 <laughs> pages later. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Like Stern loves a callback in a way that's just it's real. He's a he's a real one. Mm-hmm. Um he also loves an unsubtle double entendre, and it's so unsubtle <laughs> that I almost can't even say the words. Um Okay, so there's a there's a part with the doctor. This is in the summary of the plot, which is plot it's fine (laughs) we're gonna say it's a plot okay he is trying to pull the forceps out of his doctor bag the like obstetric forceps and he accidentally pulls out a syringe which the book calls a squirt (laughs) Uh and tristram's uncle toby says good god are children brought into the world with a squirt <laughs> Larry. Larry Larry Stern. <laughs> that is not a that's not a good joke. <laughs> and also, that is a very good joke. <laughs> yes. And mm. so it is for this reason and others that I am absolutely prepared to take the guidance of the person at the front and accept that this is in fact the greatest English novel. I'm going to roll with that. Uh, I accept. I accept that challenge. I can get behind this many nose jokes that are really dick jokes. And yeah. you know who also loved Lawrence Stern was James Joyce. So there you go. Yep. Love love it. <laughs> oh, you know, good to be Larry. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I mean, you know, we'll talk a little bit about his life. But, <laughs> yeah. Like, Whether in fact it was. It probably wasn't that good. I mean, it was, you know. It was <laughs> a, a long life. Time ago. It's, a good, yeah. it's a good book. Yeah. Uh, Great so book. Katie, tell us why you wanted to read it. Oh, um, because I like things that are good and cool and funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is great. This is a thing that I had never, never read before but heard about because – when I was in, I think I must have been middle school, my grandparents came over to the house and um, because they were scandalized by an absolutely filthy movie preview they had seen. And it was to the to the movie for this. So, oh, okay. uh, so yeah, yeah mm-hmm. yep, <laughs> something I've always so it's something I've always been interested in. <laughs> but no, truly, this this exceeded my expectations wildly. It's 
fucking rips. It's so funny. And like the jokes are also very modern. Like the one that Megan, I know that's a dork ass thing to say, but like there it is. Um, <laughs> there's the Yorick joke. There is a joke in the Netflix show Space Force, which is actually pretty funny. That is the exact same joke, except it's a callback with a guy named Adrian. And the reason he's named Adrian is just so that Steve Carell can stand downstairs and scream, Adrian. Um, <laughs> it's a whole setup for the, like, it's a great setup for the worst punchline. Yes. Yeah, ex- yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes, exactly. Definitely. And you know it's coming. But anyway, uh, yeah, no, this book is just, it's so good. It's a guy doing bits for 400 pages. Like, that's yeah. just so, all he's doing. It's, Katie, it's, doing. Um, it, it's like 600 pages. We're only halfway through, friend. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh, it's man. not like it's going fast, but it's going. I'm not mad. It's going. No, this is Moby Dickless. Like, it's as good as Melville. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, that's what it is. And also, it makes me it makes me think that maybe everyone in the 18th century was a monkey with a nose that looked like a dick. You know, those, those ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, <laughs> the only thing I guess I can like in the reading experience, too, is uh, I, I've never forgotten this since I heard about it. There's this role this like artist made this euthanasia roller coaster and um it just makes the blood flow to and away from your brain so fast that you die and when i was reading this i honestly felt like i was in a dmt rush amusement park like (laughs) i had never been more alive but i was like seeing a life flash before my eyes and it just ruled and then i thought oh we're in the five people you meet in heaven (laughs) yeah that's where we are like oh uh i gotta meet my uncle who wrecked his dick with a rock. He's right there. Mm-hmm. Guy named Dr. Slop. Classic. Yep. Yeah. Sign me up, Doc. I'll, I'll, I'll give, give you my Blue Cross information. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a squirt for me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm involved in the clinical trial with Dr. Slop. Um <laughs> That's cool. Uh, we already heard about Yorick, who who his he is a gag tombstone. Mm-hmm. Alas, poor Yorick. And also, like Stern makes it clear that he died as a as a as a troop in the joke wars. Like he bravely <laughs> was mowed down. <laughs> and that guy's there. And then, of course, like your aunt Dinah, who fucked a carriage driver. And then, of course, my favorite guy, a guy named Trim. A guy named Trim. Yeah. His friend. <laughs> it, who who does he hang out with? Trim. Snatch and Gash. Like and that's <laughs> three stooges. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. And just in in conclusion, here's a reason to here's a reason to read this if you need one. If that didn't convince you, the narrator ends a chapter at one point by saying, "I had to end here on the solemn occasion of saying R.I.P. to my uncle's dick." <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. It's good. It is. So today we are going to be talking about form form. Novel. What is a novel? (laughs) The form of something. We're going to be talking about Locke and empiricism because this is this show. Turn it off if you don't give a shit. Um, (laughs) And then we're going to be talking about why this book is filthy, filth, filthy town. (laughs) So... Tristan, give us a summary. I am like, this is going to be wild as hell. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, LMFAO. Uh, so yeah, uh, buckle up. Uh, you know, get 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 in, losers. We're summarizing. Uh, so uh, so actually, uh, you know, 
one way of doing this is Megan already gave you the summary. It's a couple sentences. Uh, the life and opinions of Tristram Shandy gentlemen is the fictional autobiography of a dude, Tristram Shandy, duh, um, who gets his nose smashed again by a pair of obstetric forceps at birth. And later, and don't worry, we'll get to this uh, next week. He does get his dick smashed by a falling window. The end. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but, but to spoiler the, alert. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that bonkers ass nonplot is really just a bare bones framing for whatever the fuck Stern felt like talking about over the eight years he spent writing this thing. <laughs> I mean, it's your magnum. <laughs> Oddball. Yeah, I mean, this is, and and he, I mean, he, I mean, he he published one other novel, which is also very good, called A Sentimental Journey at the End of His Life. But this was real. I mean, this was his main, like, written work in the world. Worth Um, it. Yeah, totally. Yes. Um, it's often described as meta, you know, as a metafictional, and yeah, it's that. Um, it is about other things, you know, uh, bookness, uh, right? You know, and and by that I mean the book is a physical thing in the world that a reader holds at some future point relative to what the author is writing at IRL. I'll just know how much he screams at you. Yes, yes, yeah. You're, if if you if you enjoy being berated by the author as you're reading, like, good job, dum dum. I'm so glad the smart people are here to read my book. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice to be so dumb, madam. Like I, I'm not sure I've been screamed at more in reading you know, books. It, yes, it, it it's delightful. Yeah, and I mean, he's just like he, he's just really into like the weirdness of like what that kind of communication between writer and reader, uh, you know, what that creates. And um, and and yeah, he plays with this idea constantly, right? Like, so there there are a few especially famous moments, but it really carries through the whole book. For instance, yeah, Yorick, the character that you guys have already talked about. Uh, he he's a and we meet Yorick for the first time in volume one. He's he's the local parson and sort of in Stern's all of his writing like Yorick becomes kind of an alter ego for the real life Lawrence Stern as does Tristram Shandy as well um and yeah dies Yorick, not being funny what's that who dies from being funny he's yeah, a troop well, in the joke wars yeah well no I mean yes like that like he, he Yorick's uh he, he, like his his anger at the world, right, for not get for for not being for not like you know thinking that his well no they're thinking his jokes are too funny and being mad about it. Like Stern actually kind of thought that like professionally that is something that had kind of happened to him. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. That's I know. So good. No, it's great. I mean, People it's a pretty. Don't like me because I'm too funny. That's. It's a pretty ballsy kind of like uh, just like yeah. Your your problem with me is I'm too awesome. He's, he's right? a comedy guy. Katie's right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, York, right. We all get that. It's the jester in Hamlet, uh, and, you know, in Hamlet, we only ever meet him as a skull in the grave. But we last poor York. I knew him, Horatio. Um, and Tristram Shandy's York is supposed to be an actual descendant of Hamlet's York. So like already within this, like as yet fairly peripheral figure, um, although yeah, again, York centrality grows later in Stern's writing. We have this like dizzy telescoping of literary illusions just to this one kind of like throwaway character or seemingly so but yeah so we're told yorick loves fucking with people all in good fun he thinks but they don't always get the joke and they get mad at him and this makes him sad so he dies of a broken heart and then infamously to mark his future death uh because like the book at this point as is its want is way out in front of its own action we get a black page like a fully black page in the middle of volume one 
uh, right after Alas, poor Yurik, right? At another point, the, the, the novel skips ahead 10 pages because Tristram says he tore a chapter of his manuscript out. In volume three, when, when Stern is making a joke about just how many layers of, of illusions and reading you need to get through before you can fully comprehend basically anything, we get, we get a marbled page. Um, and the thing about like marbling is it's like every, every marble page is unique. Uh, like no, no other one looks exactly like it. Um, and so this is what Stern writes at that point. I tell you beforehand, you had better throw down the book at once for without much knowledge, you will no more be able to penetrate the moral of the next marble paged motley emblem of my work than the world with all its sagacity had been able to unravel the many opinions, transactions, and truths which lie mystically hid under the dark veil of the black one. Which, you know, again, by the way, it, this calls attention not only to the physical book, but also to the ongoing publication process of the entire novel. Like the black page had been out in the world at readers' hands for a couple of years when Stern decided to throw in a marble page in, in book three. And, and yeah, and it's, he just he loves fucking with this idea throughout the entire novel. So, like, I hope you know how to read Latin, you chump, because it's going to come <laughs> up. <laughs> and you know why? Because in Slockenberg. Yes's tail. Like, yes, Latin, so we can have the word vagina on a page. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yep. yep. Setup set up is you better read Latin. Good yeah. luck. It's a well, well the word is, is vagina. The, the word is scabbard, scabbard. Which if we know Latin, we know that is vagina. Yeah, it's yeah. No, it's on the other uh, side of the page. It's on the Latin. <laughs> yes, side. yes, you're right. Yes, yeah, that's right. He wrote. He wrote. He writes this bullshit Latin tale, which never existed in the world. But he writes his own Latin version of it to translate it into English. I mean, it is real psycho shit. Because um, I like, like my. I was like, well, I'm not reading page L, and yet my <laughs> eye just just glimmered over that page and i was like okay well yeah, that's what yeah. this is for yeah no in george o'keefe yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure yeah but so all right uh it's about bookishness or not bookishness bookness it's also about biography and the absurdities absurdities of claiming to be able to fully commit a life or someone's interiority to paper as uh as, you know as we've talked about many times on the show the novel genre and biography both at least at this time tried to do um, you know, for example, Tristram isn't even boarded till volume four, uh, mm-hmm. which is three fucking, three fucking volumes just getting out <laughs> into the world. And he actually th- kind of throws up his hands in volume four about his autobiography getting it possibly out of hand. And we have this great passage. I am this month one whole year older than I was this 12 month and having got, as you perceive, almost into the middle of my fourth volume and no farther than to my first day's life. Tis demonstrative that I have 364 more days, <laughs> more life to write just now than when I first set out so that instead of advancing as a common writer in my work with what I have been doing have been doing at it on the contrary I am just throwing so many volumes back it must follow and please your worships that the more I write the more I shall have to write and consequently the more your worships read the more your worships will have to read <laughs> again don't yeah. yell at me <laughs> I know, the like, rules. dude this is all your fault right like yeah. um so yeah, <laughs> what you want him to decide what's interesting about those days? Come on, yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, they're all good. Um, so yeah, there's just this big unanswered question: like, what do you include in a biography? What do you omit? You know, what uh, you know, if you edit too much, is it no longer authentic? What would that even mean? What's too much? What's boring? How many if dick are, jokes can you fit in six hundred? There's a pages? two thousand page <laughs> yeah. biography of Paul McCartney. Well. 
<laughs> Nothing makes sense anymore. There are no constants <laughs> in the world. What is and isn't interesting is thrown completely out the window. And uh, Tristram Shandy is just, you know, let him let the man go. Let the man yeah. live. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, yeah. Uh, but you're right. So, I mean, this is satire in case that's not like, you know, glaringly obvious from what we've said so far. Um, and, and I think, uh, it's, you know, but I also think it's some kind of real anxiety about narrative or discourse exceeding the bounds of what the written word can do as a kind of, as a technology. And, and it can't, you know, it, this kind of anxiety and whatever the fuck it is carries over into an even broader claim about how the fuck can you ever really know anything at all? And we get this in the first half uh, through the extremely digressive conversations and descriptions of conversations of Tristram's dad, Walter Shandy, uh, his uncle Toby, and a few minor characters as they sit around waiting for Tristram to be born while Tristram's mom is in labor, which, you know, I guess pr- pretty typical, right? <laughs> the, the, yeah, yeah. The just hanging yeah. out, not doing anything. Uh, except three guys being dudes. Except, yeah, except bloviating and, you know, jerking each other off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sitting in extremely weird positions that are described in, <laughs> in detail. great detail. Throwing yourself on a bed. Uh, Kicking yes. one leg in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For whatever that, fucking reason. Yeah. That that's classic. Um and yeah, so all these 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 characters just sitting around in the in in, in Walter's study, uh the, the kitchen and whatnot. They're hilarious and also infuriating. Um so Uncle Toby, uh by the way, uh Toby the word uh Mel- Melvin New edited the Penguin edition tells us meant butt buttocks in eighteenth century slag, yes, which I I'm sure is exactly what Lauren Stern wanted readers to think. Um so, literally uh, an ass man. <laughs> we we will probably this get will to come that. Up. Yes. Um, so so Uncle Toby is a veteran of King William's Wars in the 1690s. It's about 20 years before the this part of the action <laughs> action. Uh, <laughs> so, and, uh, and, and, and 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 poor Toby. Yeah, he he got his dick blown off in the siege of Namur in, in Flanders. Uh, but uh, but Toby's it's story way better than the sun also rises. P.S. This is just it, it like is. a way yes. better version of getting your dick blown off. Yes, exactly. Yes. No. Um, in if we have to do a head to head, you know, uh, one player versus one player street fighter scenario, if who got their dick blown off and who'd win? It's to- it's it's yeah, Toby. Absolutely. I would hang out with Toby uh, a thousand times before I would hang out with Jake Barnes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But uh, but but so poor Toby's story mirrors Tristram's worries about never being able to actually tell his story in a complete or intelligible way. And what I mean by this is Toby is convinced that he can never really explain to a listener how losing his dick or getting it mangled or whatever the fuck happened, uh, unless he explains the precise place in the fortifications around Namor, he was standing when the cannonball set a piece of stone into his groin. And this means that he thinks that he has to explain in excruciating detail the intricacies of 17th and 18th century fortress engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all grieve differently <laughs> yes uh it, we do that's true and, and it may, maybe that is what this is is a grieving mechanism um but he's so preoccupied with this problem and i'm gonna put scare quotes around that that he actually builds a giant scale model of the fort in his backyard <laughs> so he can take people out there and be like this is where Swear. it happened to my dick <laughs> yeah so. this is like straight marwinkle shit like that like that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like the yeah the the tiny village. 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and yeah, well, so, so all of this around Toby, right? It introduces the idea of the hobby horse, uh, which is something that Stur refers to a, a lot. Um, it's so good. Yeah, it, it, and you know, meaning someone's kind of particular obsession, which Tristram or, or Stern maybe seems to think is simultaneously an important window into individual into whatever individual individuality we might have, um, a harmless eccentricity, and also often infuriating. <laughs> Oh, but what eccentricities are neither harmless nor harmful in this book? They're all just eccentric li- <laughs> lifestyle, lifestyles of the eccentric yes. and weird. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> and, and I will say the other thing to know about the hobby horse, too, is that like it, it fucks you. It's supposed to fuck you. It has a whole scene about how it fucks you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. It does. Um, yeah, it, it, well, right. He, he has this whole chapter on hobby horses where it's like they're either benign, but sometimes they could like they could re- they could really throw you, right? Um, so, ah, yeah. double jokes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. We're, we're in that world. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So Toby's in the study or wherever. I think it's the study. Sometimes it's, it's the kitchen, but mainly it's the study of, of Shandy Hall. I think it's got to be the study because the other guy is in the kitchen building a bridge. Yes, you're right. Yeah, they they just they, occasionally they'll send someone into the kitchen. Is basically it's, it's very. It definitely abides by Aristotle's uh, unity of place, right? That he thought was going <laughs> it for. does. Yeah. Um, he knew. So, his, yeah. He knew his forms. We're one, for, we're one for 84. <laughs> <laughs> the Aristotelian's um, model. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah. And, and so, uh, Brother Walter, uh, it's Tristram's dad. Um, he's kind of just a pompous jackass with his own hobby horses, which take the form of extremely strong and almost always incorrect opinions about everything. Um <laughs> So, like in that way, he's he's a he's a send up of the kind of prototypical 18th century country squire gentleman who has a lot of free time for reading whatever the fuck you know a ton of obscure classical texts because oh I went to college and I know Greek and Latin you know Enlightenment science theology alchemy philosophy etc. But like that reading usually leads him very far afield of where he needs to be. He's just a, like let's all remember that just because you went to college does make you smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, y- y- indeed, indeed. I have said it before. I know a lot of dumb people with PhDs, and I know a lot of bright people who didn't finish high school. Uh, amen, amen to that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so here's an example of how Walter gets, uh, you know, somewhat a field of of uh, the truth or reality. He's obsessed with the idea that head first vaginal birth puts too much pressure on the skull. And this mm-hmm. makes people dumbasses. Mm-hmm. I, and he, he thinks that like the, pre- like uh, this is something else I learned from the Penguin edition. The figure that Walter gives for the pressure exerted during the birthing process is like 10 times <laughs> like reality. So, <laughs> oh um, man. So, uh, he yeah. thinks kids come out of a nutcracker when you like push down. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's what he thinks. Um, he's also it, so very we, good at science and he's like, but I knew this one guy who was dumb and it must be because <laughs> of that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, the, it's the early 17th century at this point. They're, they're just figuring out the scientific method, but, yeah. uh, but yeah, so 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 Walter's uh, solution is he either wants to attempt to breach birth, uh, you know, feet first, extremely <laughs> dangerous, yeah. 
or a cesarean section, which, uh, here's a fun fact, was not successfully performed in Britain until the 1790s. Uh, Also, no anesthesia, just worth noting. Yeah, that doesn't come about until, I think, what, the 1840s or something like that? I think the 1830s, but it's not like that now it's a now we're doing peccadillas a, a, a century a century off at least yeah um so mrs shandy who is much smarter uh and actually the one whose life is of course at risk here is having none of this uh but her uh her intransigence on this point is partly why walter hires the dipshit catholic doc, dr slop and I'm not I'm not saying catholics are dipshits but the novel thinks catholics are yeah, dipshits yeah, yeah, for sure. because he doesn't trust mrs shandy's uh woman midwife um dr slop is the man midwife uh and 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 Slop, as 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 we've said, probably crushes Tristram's nose with forceps during delivery. This is a great tragedy since Walter thinks having a big nose, and you should definitely read penis there, uh, is lucky or some shit. Um, it also helps your uh, nose grow big and strong if you have <laughs> if you nurse from a person with mushy boobs. Yes, that's right. Because yeah, the, if it's if 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 the if the if the breasts are too hard, then your it smashes your nose, and oh shit, that already happened to Tristram. Um, yeah. This so, is, you know, this all going totally on. tracks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is <laughs> This is how we under much the same as we understand this today. Get yourself a lady with mushy boobs and you will have yeah. strong giant nosed human children. Yeah. Sisyphus trying to push a tit up a hill. <laughs> it's it's just science, folks. Um <laughs> so another one of Walter's hobby ho- horses, he thinks someone's name determines their entire life. And he hates the name Tristram more than any name in the English language. He says that like no one has ever about with his name has ever amounted to anything, but that's the name his son gets because of a miscommunication between a servant uh, and the curate at baptizing Tristram. Uh, he, uh, Walter wants to give him the, the very grandiose uh, classical name, Hermes Trismegistus, who's this, <laughs> you could follow that reference. He says he's a, he is actually the uh, kind of mythic author who started the kind of philosophy of hermetism. hermetism. Um, but anyway, the servant the servant hears this name. She's like, I don't know what the fuck that is. And says to the curate, Tristram Gistus. And the curate's like, that's not a real name, but Tristram is. That's what we're going with. <laughs> <laughs> it's also because, and Katie, you must have loved this moment where he was like born when Mer- Mercury was in retrograde. <laughs> yes, yes! That's right. yes. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's into there's this well, like There's yeah. the wrong, the wrong mood or the wrong the wrong planet was above me and i'm like well that's why you got that dumb dumb name and, and like yeah by the 18th century astronomers are very distinct from astrologers but that's again how you know he's kind of a dipshit is he's just read a bunch of stuff but doesn't really you know like he doesn't know he doesn't that know so he's anything no so he's still he's still like <laughs> taking the renaissance of medieval astrologers very seriously even though but thinking of himself as like a modern man of science you know well he was right about Mark. It does compromise <laughs> communication. So, you know. Yeah. And, and then it's the last. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up very shortly. Uh, but the one other ho- hobby horse we have to mention is that Walter thinks that what's happening in a conception affects, also affects everything in a child's life, which creates, I love this. This is amazing. <laughs> this is, this, it's the first chapter and it might be my favorite chapter. Uh, it is absolutely glorious. Um, so in the first chapter of the book, Walter and Mrs. Shandy are boning, which we're told they do basically once a month. Uh, <laughs> and, and Walter always winds their clock beforehand. And Mrs. Shandy <laughs> thinks he's forgotten. So, I mean, apparently he's very good at what he's doing, doing right? Like, yeah. She's thinking Woo-hoo! about their clock. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so she says, pray, my dear, quoth my mother, have you not forgot to wind up the clock? Good God, cried my father, making an exclamation, but taking care to moderate his voice at the same time. Did ever woman since the creation of the world interrupt a man with such a silly question? Pray, what was your father saying? Nothing. Uh, and I, I should note that the pray, what was your father saying? Nothing. We move out of italics, which is how Stern marks quotation into like now the narrator Tristram is talking to someone that we don't really know who. I, anyway, so I will end there on the summary. Never. I mean, please go. Okay. That fucking part is so good. Yeah. Like, it's so good. Like, okay. Number one, it's literally a Dane Cook joke. No kidding. About a guy who gets into a time machine so he can slap his dad's ass when he's fucking his mom and being conceived. It, it rocks. And all and also it just it's a full it's a it's a full chapter about so about his dad being pissed about a clock and about how he wants to take his father aside and instruct him how to smash that ass. Like it's <laughs> Yeah, it's yes, that's exactly what it is. Uh, well, the homunculus is a being guarded and circumscribed with rights is all I'm going to add to that little yeah. moment. Yes, yes, the yes, the yeah. And uh, yeah, and I guess I guess the homunculus theory, which is that this basically that this the sperm, the sperm are tiny people. Yeah, the sperm contains oh, basically the full person in miniature. Um, I is that I, I actually now I'm I'm slipping. Is that current science or is that also some medieval bullshit that he's hanging? I don't know. But I mean, the, the great thing about the novel is that like, is this modern knowledge or is this like older like nonsense? It really just like gets real money with both. those categories. Both. Yeah, yeah. Both. Um, I think we're be- I think we're past the fucking homunculus at that point. Well, there's those illustrations, right, of like sperm with the fully formed. It looks like a child. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, it's right. It, it's like well, so yeah. It's like I mean, the microscope had allowed them to actually see sperm, but I think they. It's the first thing they saw in a microscope. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, watch. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Like oh no. Yeah. Predictable. Typical yeah. man. The first thing you do is fucking come on the microscope. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So. um Anyway, we're but, not going to be we're not going to be on task this episode, everyone who's listening. So just quit now if you think this is going to go smooth. But I mean that then we are doing Tristram Shandy, right? <laughs> That's what we're here for. Oh, man. <laughs> um, also, well, I should, you know, before I do I'll say a little uh, context, um, I'll just say something about the name Tristram Shandy. So uh, Shandy, again, we're relying on Melvin News. Uh, extensive notes which i'll talk about uh shandy is yorkshire dialect that means either like kind of cracked braid or sort of like braggart like boisterous um tristram of course is the english variant of tristan uh which apparently has like some older like celtic resonant like dick swiggy like swords or some shit like that dope you must be so happy about (laughs) that and i actually didn't know that because all i knew was the uh the the more recent medieval french meaning which is like sorrowful and and uh, it oh, was like uh, triste, like the word sadness yes. and 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 in arthurian legend uh sir tristan uh is so named because his mom died in childbirth so it's like it's sorrow or like kind of sorrowful birth but yes apparently there's this older like dick swaggy resonance to it so, so what <laughs> happens if as in this book you're born while your mother is rolling her eyes at her dipshit husband <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I think that skips uh, all, all the way to a completely new meaning of the nothing. Yeah. Right? Oh man. So um, context, yeah. we can't wait. I gotta know. I gotta know who this man was who who gave us this beautiful object. Yeah, and uh, I mean, like for most of his life, you'd kind of think, okay, I don't care. Um, he, he he was a late bloober, which you know, I'm the older I get, the more I'm into. Uh, so, uh, so he was born in, in Ireland in 1713. His, his dad was a British army officer doing colonial shit over there. And he, uh, so he, he, he goes to Cambridge in the 1730s, uh, to train for the, you know, Anglican, uh, priesthood. Um, and he, he spent most of Cambridge, his adult it's for winners. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cambridge and Oxford, if you're, if you're a Tory, um, but sure. he, uh, yeah, so he spent most of his, his adult life as kind of a pretty obscure country parson. Like, so if you go to Coxwold in Yorkshire today, it, it is quite charming. It has a you great won't. pub, but it's tiny, very rural, hard to find. And that was true in the mid 18th century as well. Um, and so Stern for like a long time is just kind of hanging out there. Uh, he published some of his sermons, which are, you know, fine or whatever. <laughs> but Katie, he never- are you running to find them right now? Or are you like, <laughs> I'm turning off my microphone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm already gone. There's a me-shaped hole in the wall. Oh man! <laughs> you wrote sermons. See you later. <laughs> they're actually quite. Ba- I, I had to read one, and it was quite boring and bad. Yeah, well, there, <laughs> there, and there's one. There's one in this book, which is like boring <laughs> but yeah. um yeah it, and but yeah he, he never really advances in the church and he seems to have been pretty bored for a really long time uh it stirred wife and he don't really seem to have liked each other he get got to he got tuberculosis uh as, as one did in the 18th century uh which sort of put a damper on a lot of stuff toward the end of his life except he also got super fucking famous in his last decade so in 1759 he manages to get the first two volumes of tristram shandy published in Yorkshire and he's in his late 40s at this point and you know while Yorkshire was definitely not a major publishing center you know that would have been London and to a lesser extent Edinburgh Tristram Shandy got noticed and became wildly popular uh you know kind of like as a as a quick question like was it published as intended to be serialized like I just I it's not in a magazine right so no yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of books by this time were being published in kind of volumes. So I think it was like he wrote these two. He kind of does sort of a version of self publishing. He just kind of finds a very small press and it's like, all right, let's see what happens. And it, somehow it makes it to, and he kind of orchestrated like getting it like transported to London and into the right hands. Um, but then it's like all people, like people in the capital, read it like this is fucking great. We want more. Um, and that kind oh, of okay. made, that kind of made his life because yeah. um, the first two volumes. I don't know if they like stand alone, but they're they're fucking they're delightful. Yeah, no, definitely, and 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 I think funny he, as fuck. Yeah, and I mean, I think he 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 probably anguished over those two more than he did the although all of them are great, but but yeah, and so but it, like wildly popular. Uh, but you know, people always thought it was really fucking weird. Like uh, Samuel Johnson has this famous quip where he said, "Nothing odd will do long." Tristram Shandy did not last. Um. Which all jokes do, on you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all due respect to the good Doctor Johnson, um, who actually did not suck in many ways, uh, but like LMAO own dude, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, like Stern made a ton of money. He was like the toast of London Literary Society for much of the next decade, uh, which he was extremely into. Like he once said, I, "I wrote not to be fed, but to be famous," uh, which like that's a very priestly sentiment, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> not and, worldly he's a man of god no totally and 
and you know, when now that he's rich and famous, he starts spending a bit of time on the continent in France and Italy because uh, of his tuberculosis, like the weather's better and just, you know, also to have a nice vacation. Uh, that This actually forms the basis of his, his uh, last novel, A Sentimental Journey, which is published right at the end of his life. But like he left his family in France at one point, which they seem to have been kind of down with. Like, yeah, fine, go home, dude. Uh, <laughs> and he goes home and has this three-month-long affair of some kind with the early 20-something wife of an East India Company man, which we know okay. about through the extremely horny journal to Eliza. Uh, her name was Eliza Draper, um, most of which was fouled at the British Library about 130 years after his death. So that's cool. <laughs> I like yeah, it. Th- like, now this I, I will be reading. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, as, as we've said, uh, one thing most readers of Tristram Shandy have noted since its publication is that it's really weird if you try to think of it like other novels. Like, Katie, I'm glad you brought up Melville. I do think uh, it's very much like Moby Dick in that sense. And that's led to some pretty goofy claims over the years about it being postmodern, which is silly and almost meaningless, but which I, I think ultimately is just sort of a statement that, you know, it resonates more with modern readers than they expected, given it's this big, weird, honking mid 18th century novel. Buddy, Ulysses. I mean, like, I'm yeah. not. I, it, yeah. Joyce is explicit about how much he owes to Stern. Yeah. No. Totally. And and I yeah. And and I do I do think that it's it's yeah. I mean, it definitely speaks to modern readers in, in a way that uh, other other 18th century novels don't. Um, so again, I um, do think the comedy is modern. Not to do a big yeah. let's talk let's talk jokes to death, but like I do think the jokes. There's something t- that's a dumbass thing to say sort of but it's also like a smart it's the smartest dumb thing you can say yeah no i I agree i agree with that i agree with that um and so yeah so like so melvin knew uh who edited the university of florida edition of stern's collected writings which i own because i'm an embarrassing fanboy um (laughs) he he has he has a great introduction to the Penguin edition that sort of goes through all this context in detail. But basically, news argument is uh, that another reason for why people say shit like, oh, it's postmodern is not so much because Tristram Shandy doesn't look like other 18th century novels. Again, that genre in English is still sort of forming at this time. But, you know, instead, like New says, it doesn't look like other novels of the 1740s through 1760s, which is sort of when people like Fielding and Richardson are starting the novel on the trajectory that it would really hold into the 20th century when we get to the modernists who kind of blow it up and, and sort of rethink it. Um and and uh, yeah, like and and when I say that, so I'm thinking of like the novel having the omniscient third person narrator, which also enables free and direct discourse. You know that that uh, device where the narrator just kind of steps in and out of a character's immediate psychology whenever the narrator feels like it. Um, the shit that Jane Austen and then the Victorians would really run wild with. Um, and yeah, like it, you know, a novel like Tristram Shandy, which is about the instability of knowledge, like it doesn't seem like that at all, right? But but so what New says is that, like, that's not really the tradition Stern saw himself writing in. Like, of course, he read Fielding, Richardson, Haywood, Defoe. But remember, like, Stern was in, in Defoe being a bit earlier, as, as was Haywood, but, you know, kind of in that that line. Um, but, you know, remember that Stern was, again, you know, a fairly obscure country parson. Like, he went to college in the 1730s. He when he was reading a lot of Swift and a lot of Pope, um, he loved Cervantes and Don Quixote and 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 older um, and and non English novel tradition right there, um, and he also loved Renaissance writers and philosophers like Michel de Montaigne. 
Um, and yeah, so when you think of Tristram Shandy alongside something like Gulliver's Travels, where the whole satiric point of the narrator is kind of him being a big old dipshit, uh, or, or like the quixotic satiric hero more generally, it looks like a lot less odd. Like Tristram Shandy looks a lot less odd than if you're trying to think of how it relates to Tom Jones or Emma, for instance. Um, and New also argues, and I think rightly, that the whole instability of knowledge itself line looks a lot less jarring alongside an enlightenment, faith, and reason, um, and some kind of nascent ideology of progress. When we remember that Stern had also run a ton, read a ton of Renaissance philosophy and Christian theology, where doubt is sort of a central tenet. Um, and I'd go even further than that and say that it looks less jarring when we remember that the Enlightenment itself had a fuck of a lot of skepticism about knowledge, right? Like you know, whether you're talking rationalists, you know, Descartes, as we've said, I think therefore I am with my dick in my hand, um, <laughs> or these amazing, yeah, classic, yeah. classic, uh, better than the dead moment, uh, or the psychedelic jury that is empiricism. Like, you know, everything we know is like our senses, man, like so you know, groovy, totally groovy. But like all of that stuff is like, how the fuck can we really know anything? And then a ton of writers like Swift and Pope who are skeptical about those systems too, you know? So like none of which is to say that Stern isn't super weird in the best possible way or that the humor isn't modern, as, as you say, Katie, I, I agree with that. But rather that a lot of questions that Tristram Shandy is asking have a very trans historical flavor to them alongside whatever historical specificity they have. Okay, so uh, I have all these questions about this is weird to say, like, what form is this? Because you just gave us like a really good, helpful thing. But like, you know, something else when you talk about Quixote or other books from that moment makes you think like oh is this a picaresque is it like is it always a joke on itself like what what is its task formally so one thing you asked before we started recording megan was um like what someone like ian watt thinks about this and i actually that prompted me to go back and read what ian watt thinks of this um and so ian watt is like this mid 20th century scholar who has this very famous uh book called the rise of the novel uh studies in, in defoe richardson and fielding which first you're like okay well Stern's nowhere in there but isn't and, he so he's the guy who i'm not saying he like founds 18th century studies but that's like a fa- one of the foundational yeah. books it is. And while a lot of people have, you know, done really important revisions and pushing back against what Watt said, and, and a lot, if you read it, it feels very dated in many ways, but it is still one of those books that's like 50 or 60 years old. And yet everyone who writes about the novel at this period feels they have to respond to it in some way. It's so like, I mean, they're, like, why are we still yeah. reading that? And yet we all are. So, I mean, it's it, like, obviously there's, there's a real kind of point to that. Um, and so Watts really into like, uh, what he says, novel realism, which is like, it is about into, like uh, characterizing the 18th century novel and how that set up the 19th century novel. And partially that is the novel does interior psychology in this rich way, but it's also like, it does interior psychology in the world, like in the social and um, Watt actually loves Stern, but he thinks that what Stern is doing is he's taking that tradition as it's emerged. He's like, ah, fuck you, I'm not doing that, and like, and like parodying it and really kind of critiquing it. But he also has this this really interesting point where he thinks that like Stern is like, no, I'm not going to do so much the individual and society. I'm going to just do interior psychology like on crack, yeah. like, you know, and just see. So Watt, like, so Watt kind of positions him like outside of the 18th century novel, but really. Looks Looking towards someone like Joyce, um, and I actually think like Watts reading versus Melvin News reading, it's kind of which are very say very different things. It's kind of interesting to sort of think of that tension there. So there's a moment that I fi- find useful for talking about like 
that question that is it's different than the than the psychology stuff because that's I think like that's the main important thing. There's there's also the thing like where he talks about how he's going to describe his uncle Toby like a million billion times and then later he says and then he just gets distracted by something else or whatever. And then later he says, "Do you see what I did there?" I kept going off on all these digressions mm-hmm. and but actually as I was going on these digressions don't you notice that you learned so much about my uncle Toby during them mm-hmm. don't you notice that you now know him mm-hmm. in this way that's like different and so maybe that does fit in more or less but it just seemed like a real uh like it's like a pedagogy thing but also a joke and yeah. I think it goes to what the form is and I I would be curious about hot takes on that if you have any. So is the pedagogy thing why he yells at me all the time where he's like, stop, you know, you really are asking a lot of bullshit of me that you're like, why don't you read a novel? It's a novel and I'm not doing that. So you better pay more attention. Because <laughs> that is a convention of the novel at that moment is to like address the right. Like this is the reader address. But most people aren't like, shut up. You know why you came here. I think the comparison with Ulysses is really helpful in, in a lot of ways. Um, because, like, I mean, one thing I, I remember thinking as we were reading that last year was that it's like, uh, it, it's like, um, like the psyche, but with all of the superego and even like most of the ego like ripped off. So, like, all you're, you're, you're just left with kind of pure unconscious bubbling around. Mm-hmm. Tristram Shandy has like a lot of similarities with that. Although I still think we're sort of like we're in the like um, we're closer to the level of like conscious thought than we are unconscious thought. But it's about like the messiness even of that, right? Like mm-hmm. and that that it just it proliferates yeah. into all these fucking like illusions and just un- uncontainedness. Um, and, and I think that like that when Megan when you talk about Sturd yelling at us, like he's kind of tried to drive that home that point about that just messiness of 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 being human and like being a mind in the world and i so i think that he like yeah i mean he he wants to yell at walter but like he also kind of wants to yell at us because he's like you're how fuck you're you're also this guy you know what i mean or like or like oh like walter's a bad reader so are fucking you so are most of us you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. get in loser you're just gonna you're gonna have a book now (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) But he's also like, I think that as soon as it opens, and I, you know, hope this makes sense about Moby Dick, which is the other one we keep talking about. But like, as soon as it opens, you're like, this is a book. We know we're in a book. Tristram Shandy does this amazing thing of having like, I would call it like printing conventions. Does that sound right, Tristan? By mm-hmm. the black page mm-hmm. or the the motley um, the marbled page. Uh-huh. Well, and, and even all of the M dashes he uses, right? Like Oh yeah. <laughs> and all the little pointy Icons. Like yeah, yeah. The little there, like he, he. There's all these pages where there's this this like finger, an image of a finger finger pointing out something that's supposed <laughs> to be really important, or and often is like, is this really important? <laughs> you know, oh yeah, I don't listen to that at all. Yeah, but he's like he's that's a tweak to the novel in that I don't mean the, whatever the thing that we call the form of the novel in that like it's supposed to have a certain degree of like fluency in relationship between the reader and like, okay, I accept the provocation or whatever that this is going to access my consciousness because like a reader in a novel is a one-to-one relationship. And so this is about like privacy, the private sphere, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And this is like, well, you, you, we're going to call this something else. We're going to say like, you are not allowed 
to this is breaking the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. something I think we think is yeah. modern, which it's like maybe modern in the old sense of maybe modern in the sense of like post Renaissance. Well, I mean, it, it exists in the sort of that not the, the like the realist novel tradition, like, you know, I mean, even it's fucking like Jade Air, like reader, I marry like the, the fourth wall gets broken. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, uh, but but there is a way like it, it's sort of like those are those are sort of like asides in a way that they're really sent like that, that that impenetrability of the fourth wall is really is really vital here. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, I think like Melvin New is right thinking about this alongside, say, Gulliver. Remember, like Gulliver fucking hates the reader, like both Gulliver and yeah. Swift. And like is using that book to yell at you constantly. Um, and like, I mean, Sturt is sort of like that, only like maybe more charitable, right? Or like that he he like funnier. He, and fun, yeah, yeah, right. It's it's like it's. I mean, I love Swift, but it's like there's a there's a mean spirit spiritedness yeah. to it that I I actually think that Stern loves the messiness of the human, you know. But he but he also really wants us to think about what that means. Yes, that th- I think like I did not feel quite so like yelled at, but I did feel like he was shouting. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, was yeah. it in my direction or? But there are moments where he has these reader addresses that are like they're not quite reader. I married him. They're a little bit. Oh yeah, more uh, forceful. Yeah, they're also yes. like shit. Like um, I bet if you ever could guess what I was thinking, I would fucking. I would take a shit on my book and throw it away if, like, you <laughs> rubes could guess what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He also has – I mean, like, we don't have to get here for a while, but whenever he's talking about gender, sex, sexuality, he changes up the gender of the reader, too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's, like – that I think is why I was so attentive to the address because it was, like, madam, you'll want to skip this bit. Madam, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, which I think, among other things, is played with that sort of, like – 18th century sort of like cultural conservative anxiety about like the women are reading these things now and what does that do but but yeah. i think there are other there are other sort of valences to that as well about how it's thinking of how it's thinking of gender and also but how it's like playing with gender and readership but yeah uh, it's, it's like fucking with genre in every way like if you think about like gender as genre which like i'm sure someone writing a a, a junior paper has thought about it as but like Fuck yeah, fuck. Um, I totally lost my train of thought. Uh, forget it. Because you're talking about Tristram Shandy, <laughs> like it doesn't just go off on a new train of thought. Uh, yeah, just pick it up and don't even <laughs> signpost. Yeah. Or if you signpost, it'd be like you're coming with. Yeah. <laughs> you want to uh, talk about how my nose is a dick? Uh, yeah. I don't know. No, what yeah. we really have to say is my nose is not a dick, and 45 yeah. more pages about how noses have nothing to do with dicks, and we're only talking about noses. How dare you? Yeah. But totally. mine's bigger than my dad's, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's one inch bigger, I believe, is exactly how it's one. described. I am not making yeah. this up. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah. In the There's, this lady's looking for a cash payment because the guy's <laughs> dick is not whatever. I don't the nose, the nose, not the dick, the, the, the nose. It's definitely not a dick. No. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely not. Why? Why would you think such a thing? Um, uh, which actually we'll get to that. That he, he he like makes you think. He makes you supply a sort of dirty joke in your own head, and then he yells at you for it. Yeah. <laughs> but but um, well, the one other thing I would say about form too is uh, the, so the other thing we've talked about like the novel, its relationship to biography. Like, of course, it's fictional, so it's not biography, but it's pretending to be one. Um, like, uh, so 
at this, like at this moment of the 18th century, there there is a lot of biography. Like it's kind of this the century for that. Um, a lot of it is very short and punchy. Like Samuel Johnson wrote all these like lives of the British authors, and they're they're very readable and very quick. Um, Defoe did some of that too. Uh, Boswell, you know Johnson's oh. famous biographer. Yeah. If you've ever read the life of Samuel Johnson, it is a thousand fucking pages. Yeah. It's like, I, like I almost feel like Boswell read Tristram Shannon. It's like, oh, so this is how you do it, okay? Like, I'm just gonna collect everything about this guy, and hang out with him for twenty years, and then just dump all of it. Onto I read the Stern. Page. I read the fucking dictionary that Johnson wrote, and I was like, what if I combine these? <laughs> exactly. As long uh, as your dictionary, sir. Not as long as your nose-tionary. We're going to the third places. Totally. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Big but Katie, I, Samuel Johnson. <laughs> uh, Katie, I know you're, you are super into our friend and mortal enemy, John, John Locke. Friend as the psychedelic empiricist, mortal enemy as the uh, white supremacist political theorist. That's all I was going to say. What is that? <laughs> yes but, he, yes no to be yeah the faculty psychology is cool let's but yeah. we, we, we 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 have yes, boundaries yeah. yes uh yeah. essay concerning human understanding good uh second treatise of government and constitution of the carolinas very bad uh yes, but, yes. but uh but no i like i i wondering because you i like you you think much more about like empiricism than i do but i but i you see it all over this right and i think one of those what the ways in which the narrative is so uncontained is he's just he's he like follows any thought based on any like in a kind of like sensory way um that is sort of the way like Locke constructs the human the human mind right like it is you just sort of receive impressions and you start mm-hmm. to put those together but where they wind up like we kind of have an idea where it's going but not really you know well it's going through the m M&M sized personality part of the medulla oblongata or whatever it is in your brain yes that's correct right. is, wait, is, this, is this what we're terrified get squeezed at birth is that the or, or is that a different brain anxiety in this book i can't, he, can't remember well he's worried that the cerebrum and cerebellum are going to smush into each other yes, remember this part right. yes. that, yeah yeah uh that that part's dank because it's it's not okay if like the cerebrum bumps into the cerebellum but it is okay if the cerebellum bumps into the cerebrum that's oh, yeah sure sure <laughs> so okay well then will you give us two minutes tell us what john Locke is saying so those of us who uh read other shit can be caught up oh okay sure yeah the idea is that all knowledge comes in through sensation and reflection so if you don't touch taste smell see fuck it then it doesn't it's not it doesn't make a direct impression on you and so the idea is that like that is the that's the most that is the superior form of knowledge that Mm. anything that comes in through your senses and so then Locke goes off on this shit about like what babies know they don't know anything (laughs) and so he thinks you know tabula rasa like blank slate um and so the thing about sensation reflection is this that that's, I think Stern is playing with. Like, so for Locke, it's like, okay, we get things in through the funnel of our senses and then they go through the reason or the passions. Mm. And then we have, um, we have like the understanding, uh, which is, you know, your like your settled standard of things. Right. And then you have imagination 
and volition at the very end where you do shit. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's like super mechanical. Like you can go – you can like stick knowledge in the tube and then it comes out as like an act that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not how it actually works. Like he's offering a model. And so I think what Stern is doing sort of is saying like, yeah, you can put a toy train on – you know, on the track, but like actually what's going to happen is a bunch of shit is just flying everywhere and things are like in practice, it just looks nothing Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But if you're in like full, uh, if you've taken all of the Molly, which we are going to just say that Stern has done because that's what this feels like. Sorry, DMT, you were right, Kitty. Um, (laughs) Then there's no like discriminating amongst the senses or where your brain is going to go. Right. But yeah. So shit just comes like life comes at you fast. Like that's the whole problem. Well, yeah. And, which is, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, and, and totally, I know no, I agree. Reduce. So like reducing sort of like enlightenment epistemology to like a fight between the empiricist and the rationalist, like that, that gets a little reduced. I mean, there are many kind of gradations and areas in between, but like, I mean, I think it is instruct so to, 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 to say something basic about that, which is that like, yeah, I mean, that, that was a great ex- explanation of empiricism. Um, again, so like the rationalists who are typically associated with, Descartes is like one of the the main ones. Mm-hmm. Basically, they think they think that like there is like there's sort of a set of transcendent sort of truth principles that exist in the universe, and that the mind completely removed from any sort of external stimuli, just like the reasoning mind is able to get there. And I think that there is a sort of stability um, I- I- implicit in rationalism, which empiricism does not accept. Mm-hmm. Right? Like because because it, it, you are like what your mind becomes according to Locke and other empiricists Hume uh, who, you know, again, it was near a contemporary of Stern's um, is much more like, well, what the fuck is the material coming in there? And like, if you get like different cross currents through that is something weird going to happen. I think so. Um, Which is just much, much messier than like what, the, the like the cart the Cartesian rationalist would have thought right. Well, the like overarching contingency there is the world. So how can you possibly mm-hmm. be stable if mm-hmm. that's like you don't know what life's coming at you fast exactly? So it's like you don't know what's going to be showing up next. You don't know right. if from the moment of like your birth, which is so far four hundred pages, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah just, like. Yeah. 300 yeah mushed in the face and then like your dumbass dad is like here's how we're gonna do it and Mm -hmm. you know there's like no there's there's no accounting for the the world as a stability right yeah there's not and and then they're like the odds of you're getting a cannonball flung at your ding dong are just like well who knows Right. No. Well, and and I mean, you know, like this also is making me think again too about the moments when like the, the readers being yelled at it, that like okay, so if there's no stability there to like what the mind does and it does all these amazing and beautiful and weird and fucked up things. Uh, you also don't really know what the reader's mind is, right? So that like totally. so that like at that moment when mm-hmm. Trump is like, what the fuck, no, madam, like what's wrong with you? Uh, part of what he that that the anxiety being expressed there is like, well, I think I'm giving you this narrative, but I don't know what your fucking mind is gonna do with this you know mm-hmm. like, but i think that like yeah. this is like you know we can just do callbacks today because stern but like that is part of <laughs> now this is like something is is truing up for me in my head between mm-hmm. that and the way that you describe him stern as 
operating with the reader so differently from Swift. Mm-hmm. Because he's yeah. like, your mind's wacky too. Let's like, <laughs> let's do wacky brains. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're, like, yeah. <laughs> Whereas I think that I think the kids, at least the conceit with with Gulliver, like the satiric voice behind it is like the satirist does. Like, I mean, it gets a little iffy at the end when like Gulliver be, kind of becomes the subject of his own satire. Um, but and this is kind of like reductive. But I, I think the conceit that we see there is like the satirist is the fucking authoritative, non dumbass in the world. Everyone else is a moron, and he's going to set you right. Goddamn it, you know? Yeah, it's it's like again, it's Stern is more like. Joyce and that he's like, let's go have some wacky brains. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's a it's a tough way to it's a tough way to live to be the only smart person to think you're the only smart that's person true. in the world. You know? Or the only person yeah. who like gets it, man. Yeah. No, that's totally this is like very invested in the the, the like other minds problem is not a problem. It's like a happy occasion yeah. to be weird. That's totally. like so wonderful, right? Like to a certain degree, that's like something that the we might have thought that the novel was like limited by. Yeah, we would have thought yeah. like, oh, that's a limit of the novel, right? Because it's like a one to one, it's a one to one relationship, and it turns out like, no, if you can have as many minds as you have readers, that's fucking dope. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's a as a way of testing this theory that we're working on, which I quite like. <laughs> can can I take us down into the gutter? Oh, oh that's, please. <laughs> at, please. Had we risen above it, I would like to go yeah, back. I thought there. you'd never ask. So, yeah. <laughs> so what thing? You mean the funniest text thread in the history of our prep work? For this yes, abso- absolutely. That's exactly what I mean. So, um, one thing that the book does all the time, as we've kind of said, it like it has like the makings of a filthy joke, but then it like makes use the reader supply the punchline, and then it yells at you about it. Um, and one of the most famous moments of this uh, occurs in volume volume two. Uh, and this is when uh, th- this is like part of the like 50,000 pages when Walter's like, I don't know why Mrs. Shandy won't use Dr. Slop. Why does she want the woman midwife? And Even though he's uh, pulled his- a bunch of stuff out of his bag, like, whoopsie, I guess this is all weird. Who knows? Yes. Yeah. Look, if he can pull stuff out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he doesn't do a good job. So Toby, uh, who's very you know, because he has lost his dick, he's very innocent. Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't sex anything in human sexuality makes him uncomfortable. He just wants to smoke his pipe and think about forts, Um, which a psychoanalyst would have nothing to say about. and it's so okay. So Toby's sitting there and he just watching Walter rant, and he says, and I'm going to read just a chapter six, volume two, chapter six, volume two. Then it can be out of nothing in the whole world, quoth my Uncle Toby, in the simplicity of his heart. But modesty, my sister, sister-in-law, I dare say, added he, does not care to let a man come so near her for asterisks. I will not say whether my Uncle Toby had completed the sentence or not. Tis for his advantage to suppose he had, as I think he could have added no one word which would have improved it. If, on the contrary, my Uncle Toby had not fully arrived at his period's end, then the world stands indebted to the sudden snapping of my father's tobacco pipe for one of the neatest examples of that ornamental fit figure in oratory, which the rhetorician style apasiopesis. A bleep. It's called a bleep. A bleep. That's exactly what that means. <laughs> Just heaven. Uh, how, how does the, the Poco Pio and, and, and the Poco Mano of the Italian artist, the insensible more or less, determine the precise line of beauty of the sentence as well as of the statue? How do the slight 
light touches of the chisel, the pencil, the pen, the fiddlestick, etc. Give the true swell, which gives the true pleasure. Oh, my countrymen, be nice. Be cautious of your language. And never, oh, never let it be forgotten upon what small particles your eloquence and your fame depend. My sister, mayap, quoth my Uncle Toby, does not choose to let a man come so near her for asterisks. Make this dash. Tis an apostle pieces. Take away the dash and write backside. Tis bought like backside. Is that what we were saying? (laughs) Scratch backside out and put covered way in. Tis a metaphor. And I dare say as fortification ran so much in my uncle Toby's head that if he had been left to add one word to the sentence, that word was it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) If you're reading along, if you're reading along and you're like, my sister would have okay i'm gonna back up a second here i love others marginalia i find it like to be this co-archive to my reading practice and i'm mm, sorry mm. that i'm such a fucking hippie about that <laughs> no but, it's great i, I totally agree <laughs> i love it and it in my really beautiful oxford the margin note from the previous reader has circled the asterisks and said what does this represent and it my mm. my heart is broken <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, it's like, what? I are you are you fucking serious right but now? This person but, does not bop along, going. I dare say, my sister, yeah. I dare say, added he does not care to let a man come so near her cunt. Also, how dare you, <laughs> Melissa, for thinking that that's what he said? Well, yes, come on now. And, and here, so and here's the thing, right? So, like, yes, obviously, the the c word. Thank you for that. <laughs> is what is what I don't mind it, saying it out loud. No, I, I, I that's yeah. no, but good by by all means. Uh, My therapist doesn't like it when I say it, but I still do. (laughs) I guess that's his problem. Goodbye, Stuart. (laughs) But obviously that is the punchline, right? And yet... That's why when I read the like, what does this represent? I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Right. Right. But, <laughs> but then we have that like refusal to fill it in, which then becomes backside. So we've, we've suddenly shifted like the, like the anatomical location. Yeah. When Walter picks it up in the next chapter, he's actually yelling at Toby for basically thinking that a baby comes, out, comes, comes out of someone's butthole. What? Right. And it's like, no, wait. And, and actually, so, th- but then like I was, I was talking with my wife about this past, like I, like, and she pointed out like the four asterisks could, what, Another word that has four asterisks is, is anus, right? It had never occurred to me that that is actually true because it was so, it was always so obvious that that's not what it refers to. But it's like, no, that's right. So it's like, you read it, you get the joke. The book then yells at you for getting the joke, says that it was something else. And then you're like, oh, fuck, wait, am I wrong? No, I couldn't have been wrong because obviously, like, I it's. Read this book. I've been yeah. reading this book the whole time. <laughs> so, I mean, so there's a ton of things we could say about that. One is that, like, you know, he gets around like mid 18th century censorship by not saying the real vulgarity. Although there's, I mean, like, it, it, this is not a book that's afraid of actually writing out the word shit and stuff. Um, but like, no, I, yeah, but that's that was, another that was... works, right? Like, that's in Swift for sure. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And 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 I mean, honestly, like 18, it, you're like more and anything that's sort of like blasphemous, you're a little bit more uh, more concerned about. Um, you know, but be like very much of the sexual here, like that would be something else. And so Stern gets to make the dirty joke by not actually writing it out. But I think the other thing is like it's making this elaborate claim about like communication and failure of communication between reader and author, and like the uncertainty on both sides that that like 
like yelling at you voice tries to contain but knows it never can like it's like it gives you the joke but what are you going to do with it i think that you have a dirty mind madam sir so i'm going to yell at you for it but honestly maybe you were thinking backside who fucking knows you know you know what? There is no greater distance on Earth than the distance between the back butt and the front butt. <laughs> well, that's the other thing, right? Too, it's like I mean, it's the, the yeah, the, the the physical proximity is also I think really important to the instability here. You know, well, and there's a little bit of the like. You know, it's plot supporting in the sense that it's like, well, if you know, you can't let Toby in there because he's going to look at that <laughs> and just be like, I don't know, <laughs> what's, hap- what's happening? Funny. I think I thought it was supposed to come out of her tummy. Walter said it was yeah, coming she- out of the tummy. She's going to shit the baby out of her doo doo ass. <laughs> no, it has to come out of her tummy because Caesar was smart, and that's how Caesar was born. QED. Yeah. Ergo facto. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's how babies Listen, are good. That's right. You yeah. fuck someone in the belly button, and that's where it comes out of. It's simple math. Yeah, as he says, QED. <laughs> if, <laughs> if Caesar's brain had been had been squeezed being born, he would have been a total dumbass and would have never, you know, conquered Rome or whatever the fuck. And he had a great nose. Had any of that salad. <laughs> he had a great yeah. nose from nursing from a mushy boob. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Um, but like, yeah. So that's a, a very famous example. Uh, but he does that constantly throughout the fucking book, right? It's like yeah. it's here's here's a joke, but you better supply the punchline. I would yell at you if you do the dirty thing, even though we know that's what the joke actually is. Well, and the set, it's like so set. It's this thing again. It's like he's doing bits. He sets it up for you. It's T-ball set up. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. even slow pitch. It's like, well, I think yeah. you don't have it. That's the one you're going to hit, buddy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, this is like he prays to Our Lady of Perpetual Bits. Like that's that's <laughs> how... <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't have to say the he doesn't have to say the word because it's funnier not to. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's right. Well, th- that's the thing. Had he actually written out the C word, right? It's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. But like that it just that becomes this like this joke that has all these possible implications and like that makes you doubt your own sort of like like a readership. I mean, not really, honestly. That it it's it's very clear what Sturt is doing to you in that moment. But I get to imagine but- some sweet, 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 sweet reader yeah. who doesn't understand it. And I'm like, Buddy, well, <laughs> no, totally. Well, and Uncle Toby gets to be both the one who like kind of calls Walter on his dumbassery, right? It's like, but but that also <laughs> is the innocent who doesn't, who has not even the faintest clue about like what a woman's anatomy is, right? Like, yeah. Um, so he he, yes. he he both gets to be the one who's smarter than Walter, and also the idiot who knows nothing about the world. You know. Would you like to see my fort? I have a fort in my backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I interest you in a map of where yeah. I lost my dick? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, right, fort. Right. That's another yes. four aster. It could be four. Yeah. Right? <laughs> could be four. Could be four. It's so good. And it, it's like I'm just going to reference this because it's like he 
gets the he's so I'm proud of him for getting the word vagina in the Slockenberg Jesus' tail. That was that was amazing. I also like while knowing like this is so dumb, knowing like the scabbard is the English version of of like the Latin vagina. Right. And knowing there was a page of Latin on the left, I had never actually looked over there. And now that you say that, I'm kind of convinced that he wrote ten pages of Latin so he could write vagina as the punchline to yeah, a joke. I, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> when I like I circled the word scabbard in red and I was like, hang on. Yeah, oh right. Or banum vaginum paradidis paradidis to help Tristan. I don't know how to do that. I, I don't it's been it's been twenty years since I took that. Yeah, vaginum toto argentorato. Yeah, this is like now I feel like a you know, I feel like a priest pre-Vatican II reading the word <laughs> vagina. <laughs> oh man no i mean 10 pages of latin to make one pussy joke is honestly that's a good roi return on investment i'm a business it is fully it's so worth it and I mean, mm-hmm. he's a he's an 18th century cleric. I mean, he, he just had Latin. You know, if you could use Latin to actually make a decent joke, just fucking do it. You know, hundred I mean? percent. I my man. I just like notice new thing. Notice new pussy and dick jokes. Reading this this time no. around. Yeah, I mean, I've been reading this novel for ten fucking years, and I still am finding shit like that. It's amazing. So. No, and we'll uh, and we'll have plenty more uh, ne- next week. Right? I we just we have so much more. We have the uh, three stooges of circumcision. Mm-hmm. Oh. We have we have the, to, the uh, Uncle Toby's uh, 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 amours with the widow Wadman, which you know tragically because of the lack of penis is a problem. Uh, really, we're also it, about- it shouldn't be, but this we've reviewed we've reviewed this on the show that people without dicks can fuck each other, but. <laughs> Yes. we're going yeah exactly exactly yeah it's not it, it's it is this book is it does not have a particularly uh robust idea of like what sexuality could entail uh we're also going to talk about the sentimental novel and how stern both loves and thinks it's ridiculous so correct and we're gonna <laughs> like aren't we we gotta just do a little preview for joseph andrews because we're going to be talking a little bit about fucking picaresque here yeah uh hey katie do you have a little game for us? I can't wait for this. Hi, Megan. I do have a game for you. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a good time. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, like, I just want to return to something that we we did cover a little bit earlier, which is um, that like if you're if you're stern and you're like a writer and somebody can guess your plot, they kind of they kind of can like get ahead of you on that. Then you should be people too. Is that your plot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, (laughs) it's you know I I dispute the premise, but uh, nevertheless, the whole point is for him. If you if you can get guessed, then you're like a a a shameful dork. You're not quite at his level. You're a (laughs) loser, motherfucker. You just got pantsed intellectually. You know. (laughs) Yep. yeah, and I will say that he is unpredictable. I mean, he bobs and weaves the way he bobs and weaves and rolls and dicks and, and all sorts of things. You lose him all types of ways. He really does keep you on your toes. But lucky for us, he was not the only pervert running around in the middle of the 18th century. No. <laughs> he no. Was the, were there non-perverts running around in the middle of the 18th century? No. Have 
Uh, I mean, <laughs> are there any non-perverts running around now? Email That's the true. show. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. If you're not a pervert, I repeat, in any event, uh, the other perverts are very useful to us because some of them have plots that maybe you can guess. Okay, maybe you can guess. Okay. And we're going to see – we're going to see here, you know, kind of whether how, how good of a guessing game uh, you're able to play on the plots of three erotic 18th century pieces of prose or poetry. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you a little bit about them. And then uh, you just kind of tell me tell me what your uh, what your thoughts are about the, the conclusion of the plot. This will make more sense once I get to the first example. So just bear with me. OK, so. We all know that people in the 18th century were constantly searching for cure-alls. And usually they involve stuff like you shove an Erlenmeyer flask up your ass and put a handkerchief with a hot water bottle on your fucking head and that's mm-hmm. how you get better. Yeah. Inject some mercury right into your veins. Or into, <laughs> or into your pee so, hole. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't have a vein handy, right up the pee hole, it goes. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I always say. Uh no, but there, there's a guy who really, I think, found out what the secret to, you know, just health and good feeling and and not only of the individual body, but of the social body. And his name was Heidegger, I think. Um, no, not that one. It's a different one. The, the yes. one who wrote. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. I, no, I remember no. the first time I came across the other Heidegger, I was very confused for, for a short period. Where's all this bullshit about being and yeah. time and Nazism? Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Where did all that go? Well, this particular individual has found the answer to uh, cure what ails you in uh, and help. He presents it in his book, The Benefits and Privileges of Cuckolds, showing <laughs> the little disgrace there is in being one. The mm. whole beautifully illustrated with several late notable intrigues. Mm. Okay. Okay. 18th century cuckold fetish porn. Cool. Good mm-hmm. time. Good time. It. Well, it's less of a pornography and more of a dialogue, you see. Uh, <laughs> okay. So we have uh, we have a, a, a man who's um, caricatured as just jealous guy. He's just jealous man. And then we have cuckold. Who is uh, abbreviated in this dialogue by the author as Cuck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. It's a dialogue between Jelly and Cuck, and here's how here's how it goes. And so I'd like you to guess, you know, just if you even get one of the things that he attributes to his cuckoldry, uh, one of the improvements to his life and society that he attributes to cuckoldry, you you'll win this you'll win this question. So, okay, so the dialogue starts this way. Jelly. I'm going to say their names like that. In what consists your happiness? Cuck. In this, that I am a cuckold. Jelly. The call you that happiness. Cuck. Yes. To him that understands it well. Jelly. You are very singular in your opinion. For most, that would be the most miserable thing he would shun that is death. Both rich and poor had rather be accounted villains than cuckolds. Cuck. Tis true the name of the cuckold is very terrible to most men, but that is because they don't know what it is and the advantages that attend it. Okay. So what I'd like to ask you two is, 
what are what are some what are what are some of the what are some of the advantages that attend it? What are some of the advantages? And I ask you in part to tell me about this because I got it on Google Books and the end is actually blank. So I have no <laughs> idea, idea what, it is. what the okay. real answer is. Yeah, okay. how our noble couple uh, convinces us. <laughs> um, but but uh, can we come up with anything here? What are some what are some possible improvements to health and society? Well, if you have like a cuckold hot wife fetish that provides masturbatory material for you, I guess, right? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I mean, that just, doesn't just, come up here. <laughs> just taking just taking the very straight straightforward here. Uh I appreciate that you're getting right to the heart of the matter. Um uh if you're too pale to bang outside you can find a person with a tan to bang your wife on the lawn. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Pool boy. Wait, we, I like it. Yeah, I was going to say, are we talking about the, the fall wells here? Is that what's, that what's going on? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the pool boy. Yeah. Also, uh, no, I, and, you know, horns would be cool to have, right? True. Yes. Yeah. Horns, horns are very cool. Horns are very cool. Um, okay, so we'll... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Megan. I'm gonna put you down for for tans and lawns. Um, yep, sounds like a business that uh, that occurs in Southern New Jersey. Uh, Tristan, <laughs> Tristan, I'm gonna put you down for just like, yeah, what you thought. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm gonna put you down for it is what it is. It is what like, it is. There yep, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, um, and we'll come back to that. I, I will, I will inform you. Um, Okay, so here is your second question. There is a gentleman by the name of White Kennett who lived mm. who lived between the years of seventeen hundred and seventeen forty one. So he didn't quite he didn't quite make it to uh, where we wind up in Tristram Shandy, but let's not let's not let that stop us. So this guy was a pretty prolific writer. Um, but his only work that survives uh, is about – it's called Condom, a Poem. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes, that's right. It's called Condom, a Poem. And so I uh, am just wondering what your thoughts are on what this poem praises about the noble condom. Just Shoot for the stars. Shoot for the moon. So I'm trying to go besides the obvious because no. <laughs> no. Yeah, no. Oh, uh, well. Uh, so Blowing little, them up or, into balloons and hilariously watching them bounce around. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> log, log, log before the advent of latex. So I guess we're talking, hey, what are you going to use the like intestines? Sheep intestines. Yeah, sheep intestines <laughs> for it's, you know, use, using every, every part. Um <laughs> I love that we have a we have a birthday clown and like a back to nature answer in this one. <laughs> I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a condom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's beautiful. Uh, okay, so you've got um, you're eco friendly. Um, 
And Megan, um, you're doing, uh, you're making a horse out of a condom and um, no, no refunds on that. That's right. Okay, so here's here's your last question, and the, I know these are challenges uh, to the imagination and the soul. And this is also this is Diderot. So I know he's not British, but it's not it's <laughs> not not British, but just you just if you simply cross the Atlantic uh, after you've taken your time machine back to the 18th century, everyone over there was tickling their asshole with a quail feather in the same manner and. Mm-hmm. And it, they did all get mercury poisoning from it somehow. I don't know. <laughs> it was published in 1748, and it's called The Indiscreet Jewels. The in- I love all my jewels to be as indiscreet as possible. Uh-oh. I tell my jewels to say whatever they want because, um, you know, uh, no secrets here. This story is about a sultan who gets a magic ring from a genie. Cool. And what – do you think this magic ring allows him to do? And if you need it, and and we'll we'll do a tiebreaker question at the end if we need it, um, which is going to be how many times do you think the sultan used the ring? Oh, 412. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all the times? Like, why did, if you Every had a time. magic, yeah, if you had a magic ring, why wouldn't you just do you that? You have a magic like, sex ring, too. Yeah. That's, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is this Sultan like fucking Darren from Bewitched? Who's like, oh, like, no, we couldn't. What are you talking about, Sam? Why would you just magically give us all this money? That's not American or whatever the fuck. I was such a- God, what a spoil sport. Let's sleep in our twin beds about it. Okay, so the question is, what, do you, what does the magic ring do? What do you think this magic sex ring does? Oh, Cute ladies fly through his open window and land on his face. Oh wow! Twat first. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay. I was gonna. So all right. So there's that option, or just any of the various penis anxieties. So bigger penis, penis that lasts forever. What you know? Uh, mm. yeah, I kind of, I kind of like the, the first option. <laughs> it's less. That I, that it's, I made up. <laughs> it's less. It's less predictable than the uh, penis yeah, anxiety. Well, okay, one. so. But. So it's ladies, ladies, ladies on faces. Um, no, no indication of how, like, are they the size of little fairies? Are they the size of human women? Are they like the size of a stuffed? I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking, uh, this is just for my own edification, honestly. They're just like normal sized ladies flying through the oh, window okay. on they normal sized lady got it, got wings. It, thank you. All right. That clears everything up for me. <laughs> they're like, they're like harpies, but cute. Look, you know, I think that it's all magic, really. At the end of the day, it's all magic and mystery. Um, the world is the world is a you know we're all on this rock hurtling through outer space together. So I just think you know, um, dicks and balls are just part of what makes that journey uh, bearable. <laughs> the world is full of possibilities. It is. It is. Um, okay, so are we ready for some answers? Hell yeah! Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. Let's start with the. We'll start with the uh, the the. We'll start with our good friend, Cuck. Um, we'll get reintroduced to him. Okay. So you had some terrific answers. Just really, really terrific. And uh, I, I liked them for their creativity. And I I liked them for their just also it, the, get down to the business. You know, get down to the get down to the real business of what it's about. Just being a fucking pervert. But actually, it turns out that the reasons why it's good to be a cuckold are because uh, well, what depends on it is the alliance of the world, the preservation of mankind, 
the consolation of the afflicted. Huh? The succor of the impotent. The support of the state. <laughs> that You'll like that. But- the happiness of particular persons. Mm. Don't say who. The preservation of the wealth and restoration of decayed families. That we may have something to say there. No, I okay. hate it. Well, but you'll like the last. T- no, you won't <laughs> like the advancement of fathers and children. The horn of plenty. Horn mm. of plenty. Yep. And the multiplication of friends. Hard not to like that one. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> but I sort of liked yours better. Um, and since it's blank, since my copy was blank, well, you know, uh, it, my rules go. So we're doing that. Uh, condoms, right? What's good about condoms? Poems about condoms. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The reason that this poem suggests is because they are a potent ally. <laughs> well, I they should not be a potent, right? The, the potency <laughs> is the problem there, but okay. They're <laughs> yeah. an anti potent ally. Yeah. ally, right? And but, not okay. only that, it's very important to note that they come from Maryland. Do they have crazy accents? <laughs> yes, they also. Well, I I know about no no condoms coming from Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, all the <laughs> ain't made out of ostrich or nothing. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst accent. It's worse than the Philly. It's it's just it is it's really the worst is, one. So. Um, no, we go right down to where the wire is, and we just get, grab a box of condoms. It's mostly about Maryland, and most condom literature from the 18th century is about how good it is that it's from Maryland. The okay. vast array of condom literature. <laughs> Maryland cheap are the best source best of condoms. Ones okay, to fuck great. You, you have to. Okay. The process of procuring them sounds remarkably gross, though, if you have to squeeze out an intestine. <sighs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah. But you know what? Uh, they were not meatloaf. They did not say, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. They will do that. <laughs> Stick their dick in something that used to have partially digested grass in it. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, I didn't make any of this up. I, this is not a thing I'm coming up with on the fly. And what does the ring do, Katie? Well, I mean, <laughs> I can't wait. Okay, so what the ring does is okay. So if you. <laughs> Flying ladies, flying ladies. You take the ring, and much like Captain Planet, you point it towards the woman's pussy, and it gives her <laughs> vagina the power of speech, and it <gasps> has to tell the truth. <laughs> oh, man, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. And there's no stopping it. <laughs> it won't. You can only, you can do it, and it just talks forever. Well, like if the there's no secrets, <laughs> there's no secrets. There's no atheist in a foxhole, and there's no secrets when there's a magical ring um, compelling a vagina to speak. I did, I did legit think the the women flying through the window was creative. I would never have guessed. That yeah, that was I was not right. prepared for that. <laughs> I mean, who who could be? Who could be? No, I think with this, I mean, this was. I simply loved uh, – I really think we should do some rewrites on these. Um, but the things – you know, Stern, his brag about not being able – it being hard to guess what he's thinking. Well, ugh, 
whatever point he's making about psychology, all I have to say is this. There are plenty of perverts who have minds that are impenetrable to the majority of us. So that's true. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Okay. <laughs> oh, so yeah. this has been better than dead. You can find Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find me on Twitter at Tusslersaurus. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Ed Pod and email us at betteredpodcast at gmail.com, but only if it's to ramble on incessantly about your favorite hobby horse that no one else cares about. We will care. We will give you the space <laughs> to live your dreams. Yeah. <laughs> our intro music is LeBronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We still have stickers and buttons for reviewers that we actually send out. I swear to God, it's true. Mm-hmm. And next week, we are finishing up Tristram Shandy, and we have our second annual Halloween Spectacular. After that, it's going to be so fun. Thanks, comrades. Every sperm is good.